Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Jason Lipschutz, Billboard's Senior Director of Music. Hello, Jason. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am... I'm okay. <laughs> every, every day just sort of blurs into another day, it feels yep. like. Um, but with that happy moment said... Yeah. Uh, to, <laughs> I don't, it's a perfect segue. As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, pandemics, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show... We've got chart news about how the late Pop Smoke debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, how the Hamilton cast album, as predicted on last week's show, surges to number two on the Billboard 200, and how DaBaby's Rockstar featuring Roddy Rich holds tight atop the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart. Plus, Keith, with Pop Smoke at number one on the Billboard 200 and another late hip-hop star, Juice World, likely on his way to number one next week, with his posthumous album, Legends Never Die. We'll be taking a closer look at both albums, as well as the complications involved with releasing projects from artists who are no longer with us. But first, before we get started, Keith, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, both Keith, if you enjoy the podcast, or if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, (laughs) subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you never, ever miss an episode and if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. That is plural. If you enjoy the show or if you're Keith and you want to subscribe <laughs> as if you aren't subscribed already. Um, well, first up, let's do the chart chat. Uh, Pop Smoke's Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, giving the late rapper his first chart topping effort. The set was released on July 3rd and bows with 251,000 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending July 9th, according to Nielsen Music MRC data. It's an amazing number, Keith. Shoot for the Stars is billed as Pop Smoke's first studio album following a pair of mixtapes, Meet the Woo Volume 1 and Meet the Woo Volume 2. The latter became his first top 10 when it debuted and peaked. And number seven on the February 22nd dated Billboard 200 chart. Um, News of Shoot for the Stars number one arrival comes shortly after five people were arrested on July 9th in connection with Pop Smoke's murder on February 19th. The 20-year-old Brooklyn artist died at his Hollywood Hills home of a gunshot wound after suspects uh, entered the residence and shot him just just truly try it's been you know we'll get in we'll get into the album but i i still kind of can't believe it even five months later um but anyway uh number one arrival for shoot for the stars yeah i I wanted to make sure that we um described to the folks listening sort of the context 
of the rapper, who, who maybe some people are not necessarily familiar with, before we got into the numbers any further. So all told, uh, the album's debut of 251,000 units marks the sixth biggest week of 2020 for any album and the third largest for a hip-hop release this year. Uh, notably, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon is the first posthumous album to reach number one since uh, December of 2018 when uh, um Skins album debuted atop the chart. Uh, Pop Smoke and Tentacion are just two of four hip-hop artists that have posthumous number one albums. They follow the Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac, who each have three posthumous leaders apiece. Another posthumous release, gosh, Juice World's Legends Never Die will most likely debut at number one on the Billboard 200 next week, according to industry forecasters. Now, we'll get back to Pop Smoke and Juice, Juice World in just a moment. But first, we wanted to uh, round up some of the other big chart news, including a uh, really, really big week for the Hamilton Broadway cast recording, as well as yet another week on top of the Hot 100 for DaBaby's Rockstar featuring Roddy Rich. So uh, staying with the Billboard 200 just for a moment, the original Broadway cast recording of Hamilton, an American musical, surges to a new peak in the wake of the show's Disney Plus premiere on July 3rd, as the album vaults from number 14 with 102,000 equivalent album units earned. Um, That's actually up 294% compared to the previous week. Uh, With Hamilton surging to number two and surpassing its previous high of number three, the cast album is the highest charting cast album since the original cast recording of Hair spent 13 weeks at number one in 1969. And that was actually on the April 26th through July 19th dated charts back in 1969 and until this week hamilton was tied with the original broadway cast recording of the book of mormon as the highest charting albums highest charting cast albums i should say since 1969 as mormon had peaked at number three in 2011 and um hamilton had previously peaked at number three um, after the tony awards back in 2016 lastly in sort of the big chart news of the week over on the hot 100 songs chart DaBaby's Rockstar featuring Roddy Rich holds on to the number one slot as Pop Smokes uh, for the Night featuring Little Baby and DaBaby debuts at number five. Actually, Pop Smoke is all over the Hot 100 chart this week. Make sure you go to Billboard.com and check out our story. Effectively, most of the album is on the Hot 100 this week. I th- I feel like there's 19 different songs from Pop Smoke on yeah. the chart this week. Um, also, The weekend's Blinding Lights, a former number one on the Hot 100, continues its remarkable run on the chart as the song actually climbs three to two this week. Uh, The song spent four non-consecutive weeks at number one back in April and May and has been in the top 10 every week for the past 20 consecutive weeks. And of those 20 weeks, the last 17 have all been in the top five. So Blinding Lights at this rate will be uh, in the top five a year from now. Yeah, it's it's sort of unbelievable how, you know, the weekend going back into, uh, I think November put out Heartless and then Blinding Lights kind of quietly crept up to number one and has been in the top five, like you said, for four months at a time. It's it's unbelievable. Um, just a huge hit for yeah. the weekend. All right, uh, Keith, let's talk about Pop Smoke, this this huge album, and Juice World. Um, what we'll likely see are, are back-to-back posthumous number one albums. So let's start with uh, Pop Smoke. 
uh, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Um, the album was was already in the works when when Pop Smoke died in February. Pop Smoke passed away 12 days uh, after, I, I believe 12 days after the release of Meet the Woo 2. Um, yeah, it was really close. Yeah, and, you know, that became a top 10 uh, album on the, even though it's a mixtape, a top 10 album on the Billboard 200. Um, so what we're hearing uh, in this official debut album is is quite close to what he intended to release or you you at least hope that it was close uh this isn't you know scraping the bottom of the barrel uh in terms of trying to find pieces it actually does sound like a uh cohesive project um yeah and then with with juice world legends never die uh in january his family and record label stated that they plan to quote honor juice's talents his spirit and the love he felt for his fans by sharing unreleased music and other projects that he was passionately in the process of developing. Now, Juice World was incredibly prolific, so it's not a surprise that he had a lot of material that he recorded before he passed. If you listen to Legends Never Die, there are whole stretches where uh, both of these albums have a a ton of guest stars, but there are are much longer stretches on the Juice World album where it's it's just him. Um, I think the first I, a handful of songs are just uh, are don't have guests on them. Jason, I, I read somewhere. I don't know if it's any. I, I mean, I saw it on Wiki, so I don't know if it's Wiki fact or Wiki lie. Um, <laughs> that apparently there's like thousands, allegedly thousands of songs that he recorded before he passed away. I don't know if that that seems like an awful lot, um, but apparently he was incredibly prolific and um, he was incredibly young as well. So it's just. It, it kind of reminds me in some way about how when, when Tupac passed away, uh, there were lots of stories about how he was just so prolific. He had just so much stuff just sitting in vaults that could be released for years to come. So I wonder if that's I wonder if that's sort of the same thing that's happening here. But I'm, I'm no hip-hop expert. I fully admit that. I, I will say that now for yeah, anyone listening. You know, what's interesting is that you have two really electrifying performers who passed away at, at, at such a young age. And they both kind of came from different um, worlds in, in hip hop where Juice World was kind of a, a star already. And he had a, a huge hit uh, with Lucid Dreams. He he had a couple other big hits. He was starting to work with pop artists, Has had certainly crossed over. There was, you know, he had uh, a number one album last year in 2019 um, and then Pop Smoke, um, like I like I said, passed away just weeks after his breakthrough mixtape in Meet the Woo Volume Two, which is one of my favorite albums of this year. Even though you know it's technically a mixtape, but he, if if you listen to that, um, and that includes you know like a New York anthem in in Dior, um, as well as just some excellent excellent anthems in terms of Invincible and Shake the Room and. Uh, Christopher walking it, it just it's 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 just so singular um and to to have him gone just mere weeks later is is a true tragedy I I think in terms of shoot for the stars aim for the moon I it's definitely great to hear Pop Smoke's voice which is which is so unique um it's it, and it, it's interesting because I know 50 cent executive produced the album um by the way check out our hip-hop editor carl lamar's interview with 50 cent which is up now on billboard.com um talking about the album 
I, I, it's, it's interesting because you have all of these huge guest stars on this posthumous Pop Smoke album, and I still think the best parts where are he's just by himself, and just because he kind of his voice, he has this very deep gravelly voice, um, takes up so much energy on every song that it's it's almost hard for another artist to compete with him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and then you know, with with the Juice World with the Juice World album. It's it's really interesting. It's very bittersweet um, because you you definitely get the sense that um, he was still evolving. Uh, his last album had some really interesting pop moments, and this one was kind of like you said uh, in the middle of of coming together his next like official album. So um, yeah, you know, it's I, I think they both are are really fascinating listens of of artists who were still coming into their prime. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Jason, like I I would want to hear what you think about because I think there's a difference between these two albums. You know, it's people talk about, oh, a posthumous release in general and and kind of what that means and kind of the baggage that comes with it. But these two projects have different kind of timelines that I think the Pop Smoke album was in in the throes of kind of being completed um, when he passed away. And I think the album actually has been delayed a little bit due to various reasons, probably pandemic and, and other reasons. So we probably would have gotten this album sooner. That's just my guess. Whereas the, maybe the Juice World project maybe might have been in a less finished form and maybe it was more kind of assembled from existing material. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, what do you think of, of you know, kind of albums like this where you know, as we move farther and farther away from the artist being with us, does that kind of um, put a filter on the album and you have to look at it through a different lens? Like, what was the artist's true intent? You know, uh, because, you know, with Pop Smoke and Juice World's album, neither of them are here with us to actually tell us, yes, this is exactly the sound that I wanted and the tracks that I wanted and the order of the album that I wanted because we don't know for sure. Like, do you think there's anything sort of there in terms of, like sort of uneasiness with these kind of projects, I guess. It's a good question. And I, I'm, I'm sure there is at least some of that because you don't know specific intent. I think the best way, the healthiest way to look at these albums is as, you know, separate celebrations of their artistry. I, you know, especially mm. with someone like Pop Smoke, who was so clearly on this upward trajectory that he was really sadly never going to get to see um, when that album came out on the Friday of Fourth of July weekend, and there was so it it just dominated my Twitter timeline in terms of people talking about uh, how amazing Pop Smoke sounds on it, how refreshing it was to get some new songs from him. Um, he was so clearly a star, even a, even if he was an underground star, and you know to see that first week total of over two hundred fifty thousand equivalent album units, it doesn't surprise me at all because there was is such interest and hunger for new pop smoke material. So I think of it less as look, would he have wanted this specific sequencing? Would he have wanted this specific group of songs, or maybe a slightly different group of songs? We're never going to know, unfortunately. Um, but I think the healthiest way to look at it, and this extends from the Juice World album as well, is just, you know, getting this music out there. Obviously, everyone knows that this is a posthumous album. Like it's not hiding behind any other anything else. Um, 
and you know like just just toasting their artistry like i think they there's they had these really feverish fan bases um who wanted more music and what and you know we're seeing the we're seeing that hunger play out on, on the albums chart that's interesting that you frame it that way i hadn't really thought of it i mean i see sort of like fluffy quotes sometimes from executives that say like well we're celebrating their legacy and it's, it's just more about how we want to remember them i'm like isn't it also kind of a money grab? Um, but when you put it in that context of truly this isn't, we don't know what the artists actually wanted because they are no longer here with us. So like they never got to listen to the final master or the final sequencing or approve the artwork or approve whatever. So you, you don't have that final stamp of approval. But if you kind of framed it in a different way saying, while we know that they aren't here, we know or we feel that their intention was to have us make sure that we continue to celebrate their life through their music, and we want to present it as as such, and that's kind of it. And and maybe you, it's hard to read any much more into it. I think just sometimes it's hard to divorce the art from the artist, and when so much is talked about in terms of like an, an artist wanting to present a body of work on an album, and it's a, a specific intent, and it might be a concept— you kind of have to set all that aside when it comes to a posthumous release when you realize they're not here. So we have to just sort of trust in that this is more of a celebration of their work and hold, and hold it maybe to a, a slightly lower standard, perhaps. Yeah, and the, the last thing I'll say about, about this is, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that part of it is a money grab. Like, I think that everyone's realistic that people are still making money off of these artists who are no longer with us, and they're going to feel a type of way about that. But I also think about... Like I said, the, the the day and the weekend that the Pop Smoke album came out, you know, I had I had friends in New York City because Pop Smoke meant so much for New York hip hop. Um, I had friends in New York City who were like, "Yeah, we're walking around with face masks on, and we just hear Pop Smoke music blaring out of every apartment, and it feels wow. good." And it's just like, you know, I think that it's it's very complex, but I I do think that as much as it is a, a, a money a money grab and you know, just, just being realistic about these things. Um, it's also that kind of celebration. Uh, full disclosure. I had in my notes, I have like Jason to prompt Keith to say something. I'm just going to say it now, if that's okay. Always do it. Um, well, you know, the, the, these, these two posthumous albums made me think of artists like, you know, Michael Jackson or Prince. I'm particularly excited about a new Prince reissue that's coming out later this year it's a very, very expansive reissue of one of Prince's greatest albums called Sign of the Times. Um, Sign of the Times came out in, I believe, 87. It has songs like the title track, uh, You Got the Look, Starfish and Coffee, If I Wish a Girlfriend, Housequake. Just like like songs that were not even singles are like smashes that you know. And I think it's going to be in like a seven disc package with like dozens and dozens of unreleased tracks. Um, and this follows reissues of 1999 from Prince and Purple Rain. And then you also think of Michael Jackson. He's had two posthumous, quote unquote, studio albums since he died in 2009. And it makes me think, like, knowing the kind of perfectionists that Michael and Prince were, what would they be thinking or what are they thinking if you believe that they could be possibly looking down upon us saying, what are you guys doing with my music? And it makes me think, like, gosh, is it? Like, do you like, does it make you feel weird even listening to this stuff? Like, if Prince wanted this stuff out, he would have released it while he was here with us. 
but I don't know. And, and it, made me, it made me go into sort of a rabbit hole where I was like Googling, trying to find information from maybe representatives of his estate or archivists. And I found an interview that uh, Prince's uh, archivist, Michael Howe, did with uh, National Public Radio in 2019 when the reissue of 1999 came out. And he was basically saying that they were trying to just shine a light on his creative legacy, kind of what Jason was saying, talking about how it's just trying to remember the artist and, and kind of highlight moments of their life. And uh, the Prince archivist said um, that uh, during his life, Prince would say that contents of his vault would be released sometime after he was gone. So he, the archivist is saying, well, Prince did allude to this while he was with us. So I think he's kind of holding on to that, saying it was probably Prince's intention that at some point the contents of the vault would eventually be heard. And he says that he's been using that guiding principle to represent creative eras of Prince's life through the reissues. So again, since Prince didn't leave a will, you're kind of having to take a giant leap and say, okay, I'm going to go with this and going to trust that those allusions to music being released at some point later is is giving us permission to release that music. Um, and like the same thing with, you know, different with Michael, because Michael did leave a will and he has, a, he has an estate and a trust that is in control of that. But they have to make the same decisions as well and looking at what's in Michael's vault to determine, like, should we release this? Would Michael be happy with it? You're never going to satisfy anyone, yeah. I don't think. Um, it's just for, it's just interesting to sort of think about this all over the place. I don't know if you have any thoughts about the Prince album, Jason, or, or Michael's estate at all. <laughs> yeah, I will say one of the stranger experiences of my career was being, I was in a, I guess at Epic Records, listening to the Michael album in 2010. Oh, oh uh, the first one, the first, the first one. Album. And that was... I don't know if you've wow. revisited that album. I, I think Escape in 2014 I, I was, is a little bit I was stronger. listening. I was listening to some of the Michael album uh, actually earlier today. The strange, it's a strange album. It's a very, very interesting. Both the albums are very strange, but there are some very interesting moments on the first album. Anyway, go ahead. I cut you off. No, no, that's really all I had. It was just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think, look, I think of the best case scenario, just in terms of some how some of this music carries on you think about changes by tupac which was a, a huge great track hit. yeah i mean that was a it's a great track it's maybe his best known track at this point and it was the, it had this huge um this huge run after he passed away um yeah. i think that's maybe you know that's what these people are are aiming for it's not just about like scoring streams and and album sales and and stuff like that but i think it's about like you know finding a gem that that really helps fans and helps people yeah it's uh it's certainly it's certainly something that i think people i think at least in the rock era have been contemplating probably since you know you know, because I, I went through I, I went through and um, put together a list of every posthumous number one album on the Billboard 200, and and they basically just date back to um, Janis Joplin with Pearl, which came out not incredibly long after she passed away, but it was an album that she'd been working on. Um, I think that album has me and Bobby McGee on it, um, and then Jim Croce had an album that that hit number one after he passed away, and then John Lennon with Double Fantasy when he was uh, killed. Double Fantasy hit number one after he passed away, and that album came out 
right after or as it was all around the same time sort of but then you know those three albums um were kind of moments in time and then really the concept of having a number one album that was posthumous didn't really start to happen a lot until kind of the 90s with hip-hop and um and some other artists but i wonder if this has been sort of a content sort of a point of contention ever since like we lost elvis presley in the 70s and his estate has been has had voluminous amounts of material come out. I don't think there's ever going to be uh, the argument will never be settled as to what is appropriate or what is not short of the artist having left explicit detailed information yeah. about what they want to have released when they're no longer here and that just usually doesn't happen. So anyway, any final thoughts about this Jason? <laughs> I mean it's just more than anything it's a it's a bittersweet kind of coincidence that we're going to get these yeah. two back to back number one albums um you know we've seen so many hip-hop artists pass away uh especially really young hip-hop artists pass away over the past two years or so and it's it's been really sad and you know i i think that i i was a huge pop smoke fan and um and you know it's if people can find comfort in this in this music then you know all the better to have it out there well uh, with all that said, I think we've reached the end of our big show. Um, any, any, any parting words? Uh, any, any, what song should we go out on, perhaps? Oh, man. Um, that was a heavy conversation. I, I want to find some... I know, some, gosh. I, I want to find some <laughs> levity. Uh, can we go out on... Been... Um, let's go out on Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles, which it's, I believe wow. it's a new peak this week. That's a, that's a left turn. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to go out on watermelon sugar. See you guys next time. Yeah. Watermelon sugar. High.